So we continue in this series on friendship, the one thing you can't live without. And we are in the second part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, having looked at the first several verses and now listening to Paul as he speaks to the Corinthian church, which, shall we say, has been relationally challenged, meaning they're not getting along. And so Paul writes to them in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians and provides them with this amazing image of what does it mean to be in Christian community. So hear the word of God as it comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For it, in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body, which are weaker, are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, given the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within a body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. All are apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. No, strive for the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then this second lesson that comes to us from the second letter of Paul to Timothy, the fourth chapter, beginning at the ninth verse. We read this letter, this second letter of Paul to Timothy, as a letter from a man who is in that third stage of life. Uh, a man who's actually nearing the end of his life. And he's writing to what is likely his best friend. Paul is writing to his best friend, Timothy, in the twilight of his life. And he writes this as the conclusion to the letter. Do your best, Timothy, to come to me soon. 
For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful in my ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and when you've come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus with, with, with Carpus at Troas, and also the books and, above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did not did me great harm. The Lord will pay him back for his deeds. You also must be aware of him, for he strongly opposed our message. In my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Nesphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth. Trophimus I left ill in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace, O Lord, and through your mercy, we pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Sometimes, through no planning of our own, by the grace of God, friendships form for a lifetime. Let me tell you a story. It's not a true story, but sometimes those are the best kind. It's a story about two 10-year-old boys named Jimmy and Danny. They lived across the street from one another and were best friends. And along with being best friends, the boys were avid baseball card collectors in the time when boys did such things. Hours were spent each week buying and trading baseball cards while chewing the pink strip of bubblegum that came along with each packet. Now, as it turned out, Jimmy really wanted one of Danny's cards, his Mickey Mantle rookie card. He even offered to trade his 1959 Roger Maris card and his 1955 Stan Musial card for Danny's Mickey Mantle rookie card, but Danny somehow knew that it was too good to give up. Sometimes Jimmy had to fight the urge to give Danny his whole card collection just to get his hands on that Mickey Mantle rookie card but Danny still probably wouldn't have let it go. In time, of course, the two boys stopped collecting baseball cards and moved on to other adolescent pursuits. They stayed friends, though they migrated a little to some different circles. At the very least, they walked to school together, and the bond remained. Then there came the day when Jimmy was riding his bike home from middle school and was struck by a car. He was rushed to the hospital by ambulance and listed in critical condition. Rumors were that he might not survive his injuries. Danny asked his parents to take him to the hospital to see his best buddy, but his parents were concerned about the trauma of seeing such a badly injured person. They suggested that he wait. Wait was not what Danny was going to do. If you don't take me, I'll take the bus. 
The parents gave up the fight and drove Danny to the hospital. They got permission to step into the ICU pod where Jimmy laid unconscious with every imaginable machine surrounding him and every imaginable contusion covering him. They stood at the bed in silence for a while. Eventually, Danny's parents began making small talk with Jimmy's parents, but Danny kept staring at his friend's face. The nurse told Danny that it was okay to talk to his friend because there was a chance he could hear. But Danny just kept staring. When his father said it was time to leave, Danny closed his eyes and said a little prayer. And without anyone noticing, reached to his back pocket, pulled out a piece of ruled notebook paper, folded over several times, and hermetically sealed with several strips of scotch tape, his best attempt to protect the treasure inside the Mickey Mantle rookie card. And while slipping it under Jimmy's pillow, Danny whispered in his friend's ear, He's all yours now. Two days later, Jimmy regained consciousness, stayed in the hospital several weeks, and then at home for a few months. He lost a year of school, but once he got back into the swing of things, turned out to be just fine. The two boys kept their ties, but a little more at a distance, with Danny now a year ahead in school. Years went by, and with them, college acceptances, graduations, Christmas breaks, and job relocations. One settled in Indiana, the other in Virginia. And though years and miles separated them, they both ended up as best men in each other's weddings. Then came the night that Jimmy would never forget. It was his 50th birthday, and his wife managed to pull off the perfect party. Just about everybody Jimmy loved was in the house when he walked in and heard, Surprise! Later, just as he started into opening the presents, the phone rang. One of the kids answered it and said it was for Dad. Jimmy took the phone and heard the voice of Danny's wife. Quite unexpectedly, she reported Danny had died while undergoing a routine surgical procedure. She thought Jimmy would like to know. Three days later, Jimmy stepped off the plane in Evansville, Indiana, rented a car, and drove to the funeral home where the funeral was to be held for his lifelong friend. He greeted Danny's family and expressed his inexpressible sorrow. Then he approached the open casket of his best pal, stood there for a moment, stared, reached into his back pocket, pulled out a handkerchief, wiped his tear-filled eyes, and blew his running nose. He stayed for the service and for the luncheon following, and then when things were winding down, kissed the widow, got into his car, returned to the airport, and flew home. The following day, Danny's widow was in the front yard saying goodbye to some remaining friends when the funeral director pulled up to the house. He asked if he could have a few seconds to talk privately. It took some steps away, and the funeral director proceeded to say that he had forgotten to mention something that had happened the day before at her husband's funeral. When everyone had been ushered out of the room in preparation for going to the cemetery, he had gone to close the casket and just by chance noticed something sticking out of her deceased husband's breast pocket, the slightest corner of something. He pinched it between his fingers and pulled it out and examined it for a moment, put it back in the pocket and closed the casket. What was it, she asked. He said it was an old baseball card, Mickey Mantle, rookie card actually, probably worth thousands, I suppose, today. And stuck to it was a little yellow post-it note. 
and said, he's all yours now. Sometimes, through no planning of our own, by the grace of God, friendships form for a lifetime. It's one of the great mysteries of life, isn't it? How you and I and those we love come to be friends. If I gave you the time, you could likely make for yourself a list of the people that you claim as long-standing friends, some, of course, closer than others. And there's no telling how it so happened that you were put together, classmates, neighbors, common acquaintances, blind dates, seatmates on a train, pewmates in the church. And each of our friendships carries with them their own unique bond. We are held together by strong, specific ties, shared experience, shared interests, shared personality, shared friends, shared career, something that connects us. But real friendship ends up being more than that, right? A lot more. Beyond the specific ties that bind us to each other, there seems to be this bond that transcends both the similarities and the differences. We find ourselves not just, con not just connected, but fused by an invisible agent. We call this love. We, the Bible calls this love. The apostle says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Love never ends. And as Christians, this bond of love that we experience in the deepest of our friendships is a love that extends beyond just human emotion. We can see that this love takes on a greater form, something bigger, something larger than ourselves, something that almost defies explanation. And it's not just the love in a generic sense that holds us together. It is this love with which we are woven together by another power, another entity, shall we say another person. A love that transcends even our own best attempt at love. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, writes on friendship and says that there are no coincidences when it comes to real friendship. He says, a secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding each other. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each other the beauties of the other. As this, at this feast, he concludes, it is Christ who has spread the board, and it is Christ who has chosen the guests. It is one of the beautiful mysteries how we come to find the deep friendships of our lives and how this hidden host gently weaves us together with that thread that binds us. And I suppose that's what the apostle was driving at when he wrote to the Corinthians and said that the community of Christ, the early church, is not like the body of Christ, but that it is the body of Christ, that we are woven together by every ligament of the person of Christ, joined at the hip. We did not choose each other. We were chosen for each other by the one whose body we inhabit. 
No one gets to say in a forever friendship, I have no need of you. There is something beyond us that holds us together. There is a common meal of which we partake, a common sacrifice we exchange, a common baseball card, if you will, that we leave to each other's care. It makes me think of that great story in the Old Testament of the friendship between David and Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of Saul, the king of Israel, and David, who is anointed to be rival to the king, his unwelcome successor. But there is this friendship between these two young men, David and Jonathan, this mysterious joining, this transcendent bond that brings these two men together, despite the fact that Jonathan's father wants his best friend David dead. Yet the men are woven so tightly, they cannot even let this get between them. As the proverbialist says, some friends play at friendship, but a true friend sticks closer than a brother. And we stick not simply through our own tenacity, but by the weaving together of the great master of ceremonies. And so from the very beginnings of our baptism, we have this opportunity to recognize how we've all been drawn into the baptismal covenantal community joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped. And the more we surrender ourselves to that reality, the deeper our friendships go. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never Ends And it never ends because we are woven together by another. So when the Apostle Paul nears the end of his adventurous life and mission, he finds himself in house arrest in Rome, experiencing the crushing loneliness of imprisonment. And what does he do? But he reaches back to the friends of long standing. He writes his letter to his dear friend and protege, Timothy, and he asks of Timothy a favor. He feels certain that his life is nearing an end, his execution not far on the horizon. Winter is coming. And Paul asks of his friend a favor. Would Timothy, would Timothy come and visit? Would would, would Timothy come and spend some time with his friend? And, And while he's thinking of it, could Timothy bring his coat? He's left behind his coat. Could Timothy bring his coat? Because winter is coming. Come before winter, Timothy, and bring the coat I left behind. And bring with you our common friend, Mark, because you know, Timothy, at the end of it all, it's all about the friends. And you know those kinds of requests, they never come at a good time, right? They never come at a good time. I'm sure Timothy had a lot to do. Plans on his calendar, and for goodness sakes, he was halfway across the continent. So this was no weekend trip that Paul was asking for. This was weeks on the sea and months out of Timothy's life. But when a man needs his coat and his friends, a man needs his coat and his friends. Now, what we don't know for sure is what happened when Timothy got this letter. Did he respond? The Bible lets us imagine the end of the story. So let's imagine that Timothy did what forever friends do. Let's imagine the day when the knock came to the door and there stood Paul's old friends, Timothy and Mark, with a coat hanging over one of their arms. 
here's your coat. Maybe they said, it's all yours now. We're all yours now. Life does not get better than that. A master of ceremonies is at work. How was I to expect that on that fateful day 38 years ago when I got that Bible, I would be trying my key to my dormitory room at Princeton Seminary, attempting to move in while the guy right next to me in the room next to me was trying to get into his room. And a quick hi and name exchange would be the beginning of a 38-year friendship through which we summited the mountains and descended the valleys of life together, participated in each other's weddings, grieved together the loss of family, laughed at each other's foibles, and sensed in every moment the invisible host of the feast. When my father died, he boarded a plane. When his brother died, I did the same. When my daughter got married, he performed the ceremony. When he retired from the Navy, I got to stand on deck. When one suffers, both suffer. When one is honored, both are honored. Life does not get better than that. It really does not get better than that. So maybe that's the bar we set for ourselves. Maybe that's the life we pursue. Maybe that's the decision we make to find our way past all the trivial pursuits to the one thing that only matters in the end. Our place at the feast prepared by the one who chooses us for each other.